Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Chaplain's Assistance Motor Pod. I am your host, Gary, and this is the podcast where I discuss my world of G.I. Joe, what's going on in current events that interest me, what I've gotten recently, or what I'm just doing in relation to what I do when I collect G.I. Joe, whether that be comics, toys, or other media like role-playing games. And this episode, we're starting off with what's been going on and what's been going on is I had a little bit of a mice infestation in my basement and seeing as how that's where I keep all my G.I. Joe toys that had to get taken care of so quick call to the pest control guy him coming down setting some traps blocking the alleged hole where they're coming in and that was uh, you know a couple days of finding out how many mice were in the house and they weren't Mickey or Minnie. So got that squared away after discussing with them where the hole was and fixing, plugging the hole. Uh, was able to catch all the mice and make sure that everything was uh, safe and sound once again. It's been over a week and a half since the last mouse. Found three mice in here. Early on, uh, I mentioned when I was restoring my drum that one of my three was the victim of mice um, at its original owners. So knowing that when mice are hungry, that they'll just eat about anything, uh, it was obviously a priority to get taken care of, and it is taken care of. So everything's back together on that. It was an unfortunate detour. It was an unfortunate bill I had to pay. That... <laughs> That was how it started. Um, you know, no. Uh, coming up shortly after that was me getting the G.I. Joe role-playing game in hardcover from Renegade Studios. And I've started reading through it. I'm about 100 pages out of the 380 uh, reading through the rule book. It is, as somebody that hasn't played role-playing games formally, uh, it is actually a little daunting. It's not like the trading card game which I'm more comfortable with. Pretty cool, you know, getting the, getting a sense of how they want to build the G.I. Joe world in the role-playing game and building your character. There's a great line about Kamakura uh, trying to order coffee. You know, he has to sign with Snake Eyes, and then he realizes that Snake Eyes tells him, we don't drink coffee. So then he has to go to the barista and says, uh, you know what, I don't, I don't drink coffee. So it's a really fun read, you know, of all the characters. They had to fit them in certain roles. So when reading through it, you know, some characters might be like, are you sure they have this role in the pit? But I understand what they're trying to do, especially when it comes time for uh, a DM or a games master to tell the story and help, you know, do the game, move the game along. I'm really excited. Hope, hopefully uh, find some friends online to be able to do something you know via you know zoom or skype or whatever what have you really cool to eventually get that uh get to do some some of that that'll be really fun um seeing as how you know sometimes you just can't play with your toys with your friends in person the next thing up um recording this uh actually on friday april 1st uh just because life gets in the way sometimes but life does find a way is Super 7 just released, and it is April 1st, so grain of salt, but there are pre-orders on their website. 
So they did two figures based on the PSAs, and they advertised it using clips from the Fensler film PSAs from around circa 2000, 2001. So the first one is Roadblock, the body massage Roadblock, and the card art, you know, saying body massage, and and he comes with the claw that he moves the power line out of the way. Uh, I love the body massage joke. It's It's been one of my favorites from that series of parodies. And they've also got a t-shirt. And that t-shirt is going to be pre-ordered very shortly. And just have to do it. <laughs> and But actually, pretty cool. It's a pretty cool uh, release. Hopefully, going tomorrow to April 2nd, which is the reason why. I'm hoping it's more than just a joke. But I think it's fun. And when... That's what I like about G.I. Joe. The brand is the fun, and I don't take it too seriously. I try not to. So that's one way I can celebrate the brand, and it'll actually be the only Super 7 figure, or actually one of the only two sub Super 7 figures. The other one being Mutt being stop all the downloading with the stray dog when the little when the boy goes to pet it. So that that's another great one there I really wish Super 7 did a whole bunch more I could see them doing pork chop sandwiches that one is just the final one that they should have done and but hey totally unexpected totally excited for these you know there's still five points of articulation they're colored in that sunbow color scheme so it is cool but just the fact that the card art with saying body massage or stop all the downloading that's what kicks it up a notch for me. I haven't done any other of the Super 7. I was tempted to do the Super 7 Sailors for my flag. But here's something that fits fits me and fits me celebrating. So that's that's pretty cool. But it's still Lent, and I did say I wasn't buying any either. So maybe I just, you know, I could skirt around the rules and get the T-shirt. And the other thing... The past couple weeks, it's been the previous Wednesday, G.I. Joe 290 came out. And this past Wednesday, G.I. Joe Saturday Morning Adventures number two came out. And I'm going to try to do some spoiler-free reviews of the books. And I'll start with G.I. Joe 290, spotlighting the October Guard. Now, one thing is about issue 290 is it picks up right after the events of Snake Hunt, which was IDW ended, which was a 10-part series that ended with IDW issue 275. And Dana was shot. It brought back the October Guard, and three of them are electronic or robots by Revanche. And they were just reintroduced in the series. Like, okay... And it was kind of like a it was already being retconned after they were introducing. And in Special Missions 26, famously, Shreg, Horror Show, Stormovic, and Colonel Breakoff were killed, leaving only Dragonski and Dana as the survivors. When I started reading G.I. Joe with issue number 101, that was the issue that introduced Mish, Sergeant Misha and Lieutenant Gorky to the survivors, Dana and Dragonski. So since I started reading G.I. Joe, I've 
was introduced, that's how it was introduced to the October Guard. And when they were reintroduced in Snake Hunt, it's like, oh, okay, I guess Sergeant Misha and Lieutenant Gorky don't count anymore. And I know, you know, Larry Hama isn't the best at keeping continuity. That's, you know, he's admitted that was not one of his strongest suits in storytelling. And that's also why you have an editorial team. And with the G.I. Joe books, you have the research specialist, Diana Davis. I'm not sure how the editorial discussion went. Like, hey, you know, uh, you know, these three, four people are dead and you just brought them back and you have two others that, you know, you could have used. But okay, uh, getting past that, because that's well over a year ago at this point. So issue 290 is this giant retcon of how the four October Guard members survived or allegedly survived Sierra Gordo. Unfortunately, you know, there's nothing... Already when you're, you know, for me, already when you have this disjointed storytelling device, like, because you build your own headcanon after that, and especially when you build your own headcanon after they get reintroduced arbitrarily. And this isn't like when Sneak Peek came back in issue 169 where it's one character and it's like, okay, you can you can weave in a story in and out. These are This is four characters where you're getting a huge story to set up how their stories continue. And it's it's a really hard thing to pull off. And reading issue 290, Larry, I don't know, I know Larry does Marvel style, and he's working with Andrew Griffith again on pencils. You know, he's doing pencils and inks. It's, the book is confusing at points. There's times when Griffith uses black around the panels to simulate, to signify a flashback, and sometimes that flashback gets confused with the present. You have to go back and read it. I've read it a few times, and it's still some of the images don't work. There's this fire Kirby energy in one flashback with Dragonsky, who is going to pass away. It's just confusing. It's like it's a little disjointed. I know it's a hard story story to tell, but this is one of those things where if if you're going to tell the story, it it almost has to be spot on. And it's also one of those things with like storytelling or just creating things in general. Sometimes it has to be that first take or it has to be that quick sign off um, that sells it. You know, it's like writing a song in 10 minutes and recording it and then it's a number one hit. Whereas you labor over this melody for years and years and years and it just turns into a filler track on the album. And while G.I. Joe Real American Hero is a book that I get from the comic shop and then I grab it and then I make sure I try to read it immediately and it doesn't matter, you know, and and I am a fanboy, you know, absolutely. And a Larry Hama fanboy. But this book is like that filler track on an album that, okay, it's there. It's a good album, but this isn't the song. This isn't the track that gets the, the plays. It's there. And that's and that's really where I, where I could say it. It's especially after having some really standout issues lately. 
It just doesn't hit on all the notes. It tells a story. It moves things forwards. It explains some things that happened. You know, we're in this final year. We're getting answers to questions that we may have. You know, the blue ninjas are back. So hopefully we're going to be tying that up before issue 300. I give Andrew Lee Griffith all the credit in the world for the artwork here. It's it's solid. Uh, for the most part, you know, it's it's well laid out. You can follow it without the word balloons if you really needed to. There's one really bad, you know, thing towards the end of the book. Uh, Colonel Breakoff mentions that one of his arms is worthless, yet in the next panel, it's him using both arms, one arm with an AK and then the other arm holding on. So if one arm's worthless, he ain't doing that. It's a solid book. To me, it's unfortunately because it doesn't hit, it's like a filler issue. Even though there's a ton of action in it and it's well laid out, there's just the plot points just trip up over each other. And that's the best I can say about it, unfortunately. The good news is to issue 291, we got a preview of the cover, and you can definitely tell SL Gallant is back. Penciling so many issues, I am looking forward to him returning and closing out the series. I think he's earned it. Uh, I think he's a solid penciler, and and that's not to take away from the other pencilers we've had, but by and large, on this IDW, A Real American Hero run, S.L. Gallant is my favorite, so I'm glad that he's going to come back for the last 10 issues. And also, timing of recording, I did check when the next release schedule was, and so issue 291 is supposed to be released on April 6th, so that's next week. So hopefully I'll have the edit of this episode done in time for that. And that brings me to the other new comic book I got, and that is Saturday Morning Adventures number two. And this is the team of Burnham, Shaning, and Delgado. And they nail, again, like I said from about the last issue, they nail that sunbow look. They nail that sunbow colors. It is very well drafted. So the pictures look good. One thing I picked up, the Sunbow series always had Tomax and Zamot reversed. And by that I mean Zamot had the scar on his right cheek, not his left. And they got that correct as well. So that was pretty cool to see. And when I read this book, I read it completely in the voices of the Sunbow series. Chris Latta, Morgan Lofting, Arthur Burghardt, you know, it's it's there. It's totally there. It's an absolute blast to read. Uh, you know, getting another wish from the genie. And, you know, the genie having that twist in it. It's, you know, which is, which is a trope. And that's absolute. We're halfway through the series, so we should have some of that. And the end of the book, you know, Cobra Commander comes across as a little more competent than the Sunbow series, which is nice because we don't always need a buffoon in charge of Cobra because then you wonder how did this man get Cobra to be where it is at this point, to be such a major threat, if when he fights against G.I. Joe, they all just, they always retreat. It was a great issue overall, really happy getting this series, and it even has Snake Eyes doing the PSA at the end. It is absolutely uh, tongue-in-cheek. It's a wonderful read. This issue number two really was I felt was better than issue number one. 
So take that for what it's worth. Not trying to spoil anything. I know it just came out two days ago, and I want everybody to read it too and form their own opinions. But for me, this was this is a fun G.I. Joe book to read. And it's not mired in continuity, and it's just that fun sunbow thing. And absolutely can't wait for issue number three on that as well. This week, my inspiration for this vehicle came from a post on Facebook by Stephen Jubber of G.I. Joeberg, and he was asking about the G.I. Joe Skystorm X-Wing Chopper. And I was going to do another helicopter, but it's going to be uh, further off uh, for a different review. Because it's this episode, it is a G.I. Joe vehicle episode. To start off with, the X-Wing Chopper is not something I had as a kid. And the first time I really got to know the X-Wing Chopper, besides the Marvel Comics, which it's barely in, was the G.I. Joe... Uh, War on Cobra mobile game that I was playing for a while and they did have the X-Wing chopper as as like one of those you know attack helicopters in the game and I really enjoyed it you know having it you know make it putting it into him as a card and playing around with it and I got mine and this isn't one I bought in a lot um, there's a local toy store and I went in one day and he has he has a whole huge collection of vintage Joes and, you know, I go in there and I just like, okay, what, you know, you know, let me look for something I don't have. And that's, that's basically all that there is to it. And I bought this Skystorm with windmill complete. It was, uh, it was a bargain at the time. I think I paid like 30, 30 to $40 for it. It's really clean. It was from, you know, he told me he got it from the original owners. So, and then I bought it. And it's just an odd little, it's it's absolutely an odd helicopter. To start off, going to look at the pilot Windmill. Now, Windmill is one of those goofy characters who only got goofier uh, with the fun school, with his little uh, Windmill backpack, which is actually fun because the Collector's Club issued a modern era version of Windmill, and it was in the fun school livery with the helicopter backpack or the windmill backpack that's always fun again that's what i like about this community or this hobby is finding the fun aspects of it and there's fun and fun school now to start off with windmill he is kind of he's got an interesting paint scheme to say the least uh orange pants black shoes a green jacket over an orange shirt and then he's got an odd helmet we'll start from the top down we'll go talk about his helmet it's black it has an orange mohawk stripe we'll call it down the center it has a nice little ridge it has a little antenna on his right and then another protrusion on his left which goes down to like it looks like almost like a communications box over the ear or you know a headset and you know has some piping on the right side going from that antenna back it's kind of a funky looking helmet although looking at the details it is semi-utilitarian the helmet is painted over the flesh colored face and the face has you know 
black eyebrows with black eyes. And it's a slender face. That takes care of the head. The jacket is green. It has painted hands. And the orange shirt underneath the jacket is painted orange. If you're lucky, you still have the silver on the jump wings over the left breast. And also with the orange paint for the shirt, you also have ink molded in the same green is his oxygen mask, which is resting on his chest with the tube going to his middle of his right side of his abdomen. So and that's all green. There's a ton of detail in here. I've seen customizers really bring this alive. In the Marvel comic, he's not painted so garishly. I have some extra windmills, so I'll just put it on my eventually I'll get around to a pile of customizing that I keep saying I'll do, yet I have yet to do. Now going down, we have the orange pants. The orange pants have, you know, belt buckles and also some pouches on each side of the hip and, you know, belt loops, some interesting folds and creases. Then you go down to the legs. You have unpainted, you know, straps that go around the upper thighs. You have pouches on each, on each thigh, on the upper thigh. And it goes down to the lower legs where there's looks like two sets of zippers on each lower leg with a pouch near the ankle. And then finally, the shoes, which are molded pretty nice, but they're painted black. So he's an odd one. And I just noticed mine has a very stiff left knee. Not too happy about that. And then finally, he did come with an accessory, and that was a revolver so you have this guy all he looks kind of high-tech yet he's still shooting a six shooter revolver you know it's in similar vein of a Colt 45 Magnum got a hammer it's got iron sights and it's got a trigger with no trigger guard and it's slightly oversized so it would probably feel at home with a five inch figure but it definitely looks huge in the hands of windmill and also in a single seater chopper much like when I did dogfight this sidearm is really for when he crashes and burns or his chopper is relegated redundant or useless and he needs to be on the on the fighting battlefield so he doesn't have like with the skystorm he doesn't have the ability to fly down, pick up wounded, and take off, where, you know, when he's on the ground waiting for the stretchers or something to be loaded, that he can provide cover fire, uh, like if he was on the dragonfly or tomahawk. It's kind of like a redundant accessory. I would have preferred, instead of the pistol, if they just put some more paint on him and made the figure stand out even less garishly, <laughs> to, put it, to put it simply. Now, with him taken care of, now we have the Skystorm Chopper. So the Skystorm Chopper has a gimmick. And that is when you push down on essentially what looks like the radar dish, it retracts the blades. And one thing that should be noted is that the blades get stiff over time. And they get so stiff, when you push it down, like on mine, one of the blades 
might break and not go down anymore. So that makes me sad because I just realized that one of my blades is broken. So that is going to necessitate me finding another Skystorm because to top it all off, it definitely wasn't broken when I bought it. The other thing is, too, when you retract the blades, it's supposed to essentially turn into a fighter jet, much like the switchblade from Mask. So if it was to do that, the rotors would stand still and become airfoil, just regular airfoils. And they don't. It still spins around and it spins around. There's no locking mechanism for the blades or for the rotor. That is kind of odd. Also, it calls it an X-Wing. So all the X means is the blades are still at 90 degrees normal to each other. So an X would be, you know, especially if you're thinking like Star Wars, the X-Wing fighter, is that, yes, the blades would intersect at the center, but they wouldn't be 90 degrees. You know, it would be like 60, 120, 60, 120, something, something like that. So their separation would be 180 from their opposite, but they would be closer to, you know, one set would be closer to the other in, in, a, in a fashion. That's kind of like a misnomer. And the way this toy is, I would actually prefer that too, because then it would move the helicopter blades closer on each side so you could spread them uh, essentially out so then they would become more of an airfoil, which, if you think about it, to turn a rotary wing into a stationary wing would mean that on one side, the rotary wing would need to flip upside down so that it would provide lift in the same direction as the opposite side. It kind of doesn't, you know, doesn't work. And unfortunately, there isn't. Like I said earlier, the mask switchblade is a much better example of a helicopter turning into a jet, turning back into a helicopter. But I'll move on from that. You have a clear plastic canopy covering the cockpit. And the, the cockpit does have some features on each side of the character. So you have, a, you know, two pegs for the hands on each side. And you also have, you know, some round gauges on the right side and you've got uh, looks like one round gauge on the left and you got a couple buttons like that would be you know you could paint them and be you know like warning lights or something and the back of the cockpit does have some some detailing and the front of the cockpit where it just gets covered by the very tip of the canopy has some detailing too so it's not a lot it's fair behind the tail rotor is an engine cover the engine cover is molded in a light bluish gray a lot of the features on this are this light bluish gray like the tail fins you have the engine cover the blades of the rotor and then the front nose cannons that move up and down and they don't move, they don't pivot side to side. So it pops off easy and it reveals the jet engine that provides thrust at the back of the Skystorm while maybe also being the same turbine engine that powers the rotary wing. Not sure, but it is. It's nicely detailed. It looks like a jet engine. 
So starting on the body, the body is molded in a like grayish tan. It's mostly gray with some tan hint into the mold. It is shaped almost like a jet with small wings on each side on about midsection and two wings aft that then go to a splayed pair of tail wings to provide steering. Uh, this helicopter does not have a rear rotor. The engine grabs its air from the belly of the helicopter, which gets its air inlet underneath essentially the feet of windmill, and it, pow and it flows all the way back. The armament of the Skystorm is, besides the two nose cannons that are mounted on the sides of the nose, it has six missiles. Four of them are four smaller missiles with two larger ones on the back. They are molded in a dark blue, much like the rear skid on the bottom. So the Skystorm doesn't really have landing gear. It is more shaped, like it's shaped like a jet, but it's the bottom of this is like a boat in some respects. And when I see this, it reminds me of the the Submachopter from Season 5 of Community G.I. Jeff when they actually took like a G.I. whether they customized a G.I. Joe toy. And just because of that Submachopter and, you know, the shark, this, you know, helicopter slash jet, you know, it doesn't have any landing gear, but the body is constructed as such that I bet it floats in the water. I don't have something to test it out at the moment, but it'd be really fun to make a quick short of that for the YouTubes. And that's really it. It is a quirky little helicopter. It is fun. It's a fun toy. It has a great gimmick. I'm sad that my gimmick is broken now because I thought I was being careful with it and uh, not sure if I broke it today or if I broke it previously while playing with it. It isn't exactly the warmest in my basement, which I know is not always the best for playing with your plastic toys because plastic does like to have a little warmth to keep it flexible. How do I see the Skystorm in play? Well, the Skystorm is a great helicopter. It's an attack helicopter. So this will be something that if you have a couple, you know, take off from your flag or from your land base, it it fits. And because it probably floats, you know, this could definitely, you know, have water landings as well. It is absolutely a fantasy vehicle. This has very little, very little base in reality. You either like it or you don't. It's, it doesn't have that battle, like I like to call the Battle Force 2000 feel. It feels like its own thing. It feels like that futuristic G.I. Joe that is grounded in reality. But it doesn't, you know, you have to have that, you know, that mindset to throw, to be a little more fantastic than uh, practical. I think about this toy in that way. It's like, if I had this, when this came out in 1988, I would have played the heck out of it. I absolutely would have. I would have enjoyed it. And as an adult, it absolutely belongs with my collection. It is something that I actually now see myself buying a second one of because... 
that's how I'm going to be because I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the, the blade itself. It's got that going for it. It's not like last episode's AGP where it's like, yeah, if I see one, you know, it's got to be a steal of a deal before I buy one. This one gets points because I wouldn't mind having a second one. You know, windmill is probably the biggest attractor of this entire toy, which is sad, but it is the truth for me. And thankfully, if I have multiple Skystorms, there's only one windmill in the team. So, you know, maybe a Wild Bill or Flint, you know, I could see 1994 Flint piloting this. It has a place on the on the Geo Joe team. It definitely fits in that second half of the series, but it doesn't look completely out of place if you mix it in with earlier vehicles from 85, 86. Overall, on a scale of 0 to 5 retractable helicopter blades, this is a 3.5. For all those reasons, regretfully looking forward to getting my second one because of the circumstances I have to buy it as, but say la vie, that's what happens in toy collecting. And that concludes this episode of the Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod, The Strange, but not a strange nerdy little brother of the PintOcomics.com pyramid scheme uh, family. You can find us on Anchor.fm, our host, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Good Pods, and other fine podcatching platforms. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe, like, rate, or leave a hopefully five-star review. Doing this really makes a difference and only helps to improve and grow this podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chaplain Joe Pod. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for the Chaplain's Assistance Motor Pod. Or you can also send an email to chaplainjoepod at gmail.com if maybe social media isn't exactly your thing. And one last missile for the masses before I leave. Be decent to each other. See ya.